Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the last lap podcast. Please pay no attention to the qualifying format behind the curtain. <laughs> and with that reference, it must mean that we are here for the Oz Australian Grand Prix. Yeah, you see, yep. see where I'm going with it. Good, good. Uh, I'm your host Andrew Pearson, making terrible puns, and alongside me, as always, is Sean Gray, having to laugh at them. Hello, good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so we have had our first race of the 2016 season, and well, shall we say it, it, it showcased some of the best bits of F1 and some of the not so best bits of F1. So here we are, it's the Australian Grand Prix, which must mean it's the start of the brand new 2016 Formula One World Championship. The 3.3 mile Albert Park circuit in Melbourne has usually been the season opener since it took the Australian Grand Prix venue away from Adelaide in 1996, which means that this year is also the 20th anniversary. And it's been an eventful 20 years, beginning from the very first racing lap, with a spectacular crash seeing current Sky F1 pundit Martin Brundle cracking his Jordan in half, before amazingly getting out to jog back to the pits and get in the spare car. It's also sadly had its share of tragedy when a marshal was struck and killed by a loose wheel following an accident between Ralph Schumacher and Jacques Villeneuve in 2001. A year later, perhaps it was first race of the season adrenaline that led to a chaotic first lap that took out half the grid, leading to one of the sport's underdog done good moments, with home driver Mark Webber finishing fifth in an otherwise back of the grid Minardi. So while anything can happen here, let's take a moment to reflect that of course we can't go any further without addressing the fact that the bull is no longer in the china shop. When I thought of doing this little section for the Last Lap podcast, one recurring element of each track description was going to be, has Maldonado crashed here? And of course, following the Venezuelan's departure from the grid, we can't do that anymore. Although to avoid making the research completely redundant, I may as well tell you that he excelled himself in Melbourne, managing to go off the road in every single Australian Grand Prix weekend that he participated in. And this is not a circuit that you can make mistakes on. The barriers are unforgiving here and those errors are swiftly punished, which means that the safety car is very likely to make an appearance. The top speed is around 190 miles an hour, with an average speed of around 130. The lap record was set by Michael Schumacher's Ferrari in 2004 at 124.125, and of the current crop of drivers, Alonso and Vettel and Rosberg have won once, Hamilton and Raikkonen have won twice, but the most crowned victor of Albert Park is actually Jensen Button, with wins in his championship year of 2009, his first year with McLaren in 2010, and then again in 2012. But that isn't the whole picture. Crunching the stats on the finishing positions over the last uh, 10 years shows that the most consistent driver here, despite having only won once, is Jensen's teammate, Fernando Alonso. So, will the Giro's McLaren Honda finally be up to their task again in 2016, or will the race results set the Seen for another season of Mercedes dominance. Let's join Andrew and Sean to find out. <laughs> well, let's let's start then at the the source of this weekend's kind of uh, atrocities. Uh, the new qualifying format uh, was first run. Um, this would be the uh, fifteen or minute or so sessions. After the first five minutes or so, then every ninety seconds a driver was eliminated 
um, and had to go back to the pits. Uh, and as it turned out, couldn't complete the flying lap that they were on, um, which caused the teams somewhat of a problem in Q1 when they didn't realise that that was the case. Um, I think uh, in the end, normality was kind of re restored in the fact that the bottom places were sort of held by the teams that you would pretty much expect to be at the bottom other than um, Danny Kvyat who obviously had a car problem. Yep. Um, but it, it clearly took a lot of the teams by surprise who assumed, as was the old qualifying format, that as the clock counted down, you got to finish the lap you were on. Uh, and as it turned out, that was not the case. Not so the we case. <laughs> saw a lot of people leaving the pits with uh, <laughs> sort of uh, um, maybe 120 minutes, 120 seconds left on the clock, hoping to, to buzz around and get another lap started and then suddenly finding out that, nope, I'm afraid you, you don't get anything. Um, Q2 was then a, a bit of a mishmash because... Um, as the team set about recomputing what they thought they were doing, we had a big period um, in the middle of the elimination session where people had gone out, done one flying lap on the last set of um, super soft tyres that they had, um, and then sat in the grid, uh, uh, sat in the garage, allowing themselves to be eliminated because there was literally no point in going out and doing because they couldn't refuel the car and get it out within the time frame. So not only did you lose one driver every 90 seconds, in reality, you lost three drivers every 90 seconds and then had two minutes of everybody sat in the carriages doing nothing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then that led us to what should have been the super amazing climax. We're going to have a big shootout. Those two, those two sessions were poor, but tell me that we're going to have a big shootout in Q3 to make up for it. That's what's going to happen, isn't it? We're, well, going, to have a big, we're going to have a big shootout. Yeah, it makes it all worthwhile, isn't it? That's what's going to happen, right? Wasn't it the thought that, you know, <laughs> what you'd have is the fastest cars circulating the, the track, you know, until eventually you had two people left for a shootout. When instead, what happened is everybody went out for the first runs. Uh, and because the only team that had a spare set of um, soft tyres from the first qualifying session, everybody sat in the pits and took their um, took their grid spots, apart from the Mercedes, who went for one more lap right at the, well, not even right at the end. Um, like three minutes before the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I wonder if there has ever really been um, a full qualifying session where the checkered flagman twice f had to wave his flag with absolutely no cars on the track. The most pointless job in the world, telling everybody that, you know, oh, everything's over. But, I mean, it has been for the last two minutes, but now it's really over. Madness. <laughs> and the best, bit, the best bit was Seb in his jeans. Yes. Seb, Seb changed into his jeans before qualifying had ended. <laughs> that was my favourite sight of the whole weekend. It, it could only yeah. have been made better if, if Kimi Räikkönen had come out with an ice cream. Yep. <laughs> that would have been the absolute, no pun intended, icing on the cake. <laughs> the ice <laughs> just, on the cake. Not just you that can make bad puns. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a good one, actually. Um, let's all remember that this was the qualifying format pushed through by the... Uh, open quotes, strategy, uh, oh, close yes. quotes, group, um, for no apparent reason, uh, with no consultation to the drivers or the teams, um, ratified by the FIA and, and pushed on us at a moment's notice. Um, Sean, is this worse than double points? 
Ooh. Yes. <laughs> but, um, double points, as stupid as it was, and everybody knows how stupid it was, didn't, at least didn't really adversely affect the show. Really. Like, it was, it was absolutely dumb, but you still got wheel-to-wheel racing on the track. So more or less the same as you would have anyway. Whereas this idea has led to just literally no racing on the track or, or qualifying, no no qualifying on the track. So yeah, <clears throat> for that reason, I'll, I'll say yes. But double, let it never be forgotten that double points was absolutely stupid as anything as well. So what do you think? Uh, I'm, I tend double, to agree, agree with you. Double points? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... Because it's like you say, like, it's just... Watching a blank track was... I've never seen it before. Uh, you know, outside of the older days where the first twenty minutes nobody went out, like it was, it was kind of harking back to those days. You know, everybody sat in the garage watching monitors or just not doing it. But it was almost worse than that because at least back in the day when that when when you know we had an hour to set your times and uh, you know the the big guys used to not go out until the second half of the qualifying session and let the 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 lower ground teams, you know, rubber in the track. At least all the boring bit was at the start of the session and you still culminated with them all out on the track at the end. This was like that in reverse. Like Etherin happened in the first five minutes and then we had nothing at the end. It was just mind boggling. I I don't understand um how whoever came up with this concept didn't see this coming. Yeah. Well, the we talked said, about the it. The drivers told them. The drivers warned yeah. them. That this, well, is, this is exactly what we said was going to happen. Was basically the quotes from after the after the session. What What did we say on our preview show? We said one of two things will happen. They'll either all come out on track and do all their laps early, or they'll all come out at the end of the session and do their laps early. And in the end, Q3 had both, but that was only because Mercedes saved one set of tires. If Mercedes had had to have gone twice in Q1. Everybody would have done one lap at the start of Q3, and that would have been it. Nobody yep. would have come out again, or they'd have all come out again on, on stupid scrub tyres, in which case, you know, they're, they're never going to be as fast as their first laps anyway. So the whole the whole thing would have been just entirely pointless. Um, it's It was so obvious and so in your face that that was how the teams were going to play it. And that's nothing against the teams either, because the teams can have to do it like that because they've been given a limited tire uh, quota. Give them infinite tires, then the teams will be, you know, out doing as many laps as they possibly think they can fit in, because there wouldn't be any problem. And if you brought back refueling, they could swap the cars around in, you know, 20 seconds instead of having to wheel them back into the motorhome, turn everything off, you know open a, a cover with a screwdriver and stuff, slowly fill out using the, the pumps that they have in, in there, then, you know, stick the tires on and send them out for a lap. So Which it takes well, more... Than, yeah, it's going to take two minutes to do all that at least. You know? A minimum, isn't it? It's, it's going to take more than 90 seconds. So that in itself is the most obvious flaw yeah. in the whole entire thing. Is that If you could do a pit stop, a race a race pit stop with with refueling, that would go some way to, to help him, but it's still stupid. But at least then, like you say, you could come in and do what, what I would call a splash and dash from back, you know, and, and just come in, splash the fuel in and get straight back out in, in 10, 15 seconds or whatever. You know, then, yeah, maybe. 
but still no. <laughs> <sighs> so that was quality. Um, we was, didn't... I watched the uh, sorry just before we go on. I watched a lot of the uh, the Ted's notebook and stuff in between quality and the race, just just because quality was so bad, and and not there was not one single person, fan, pundit, driver, team member. This had anything positive to say. Not one. Not one solitary. Not even. I mean, David Croft tried, because you know, bless him, he tries to be positive about absolutely everything, even when it's so mind-numbingly obvious that it's not a good idea. Uh, he, even he, who was struggling to find positives, there wasn't a single soul on any post-qualifying analysis that had anything good to say. I'm going to bring this up now because I was going to save it for the news, but. Um, you're you're right in that even the people who seem to have you know benefited the most Mercedes, Total Wolf came out and said this is really bad. We need to change this right now. <laughs> His direct quote was, "This is rubbish." Yeah, <laughs> and um, everybody was out saying, uh, "Yeah, we'll get this changed for Bahrain." Everybody's going to agree. We can get this done in less than two weeks. News coming out now is that um, Pirelli. And Force India and Williams may not automatically agree to change it back to the new session. I, I the, can't the get my rules. head around that. They want to have the first two sessions as the elimination style and then the third format going back to the normal Q3. Why? <laughs> Has anybody asked them why? Because well, <laughs> I just I can't get my head around why, why they would... Like why they would feel strongly that that was the right solution, I can't get my, I can't get my head around when when literally everybody's panned it. I can't get my head around why they wouldn't just go. Yeah. <laughs> well, the only thing that, that can work for me is that for Force India's perspective, they're likely to come ninth and tenth, so you know the last places outside of the top ten. So they will be able to choose their strategy, be within the top ten, and have extra tires for the race. So for Force India, it probably makes absolute sense. You know, they're not looking really to get get any get into Q3, and from ninth and tenth potentially they have the you know the biggest and highest. You know, they've got the best grip slot compared to number of tyres used. Mm -hmm. yeah, Williams, okay. I think, are probably feeling that they're actually in fairly the same position. That you know, with the the rise of other cars, maybe they're not there. Um, and what Pirelli's deal is, I've absolutely no idea. Um, some, <laughs> something tie related but God knows what it is but the whole point to me here is that what it shows is that those three groups and especially two F1 teams could not care less about the actual spectacle of the sport the sure. only reason you wouldn't go back to the, the other one straight away and say we will spend a season thinking about how we can change it and we will run more simulations and we will do more tests and we will speak to the teams we'll speak to the drivers to see about how this would all shake out the only reason that you would do that is if it benefited you directly. Mm -hmm. Everything else it makes no sense. It makes no sense for the sport to have a bad idea running, even in a tweaked format. And I don't think the tweaked format will work either, particularly. Um, as he said, do you know what I mean? The teams will um, ultimately, now that they know what the situation is, they are all likely to go out and do fast laps and just see where they go and save sets of tyres. Because if they don't think they can get to Q3... What is the point? So that was qualifying, really. Uh, uh, you know, this this terrible idea. 
apparently, maybe returning for the next race. <laughs> it didn't mix up the grid in the way that everybody said as well. Pretty much normality was was held to. Um, nobody actually got caught out. I think generally the pace of each car was, was recognised. So we started the GP with the cars in the places that you pretty much would have expected them with the Mercedes on the front row and then the Ferraris and then a mixture of Red Bulls and Williams and Toro Rossos and uh, and yeah. things like that. Pretty much exactly where, what we what we said, eh, I think, in our, in our previous show where we roughly expected everybody to be. Yes. Um, we had a, an aborted formation lap. Um Poor old Danny Kvyat, after having his qualifying problems, his car then uh, got almost back to its grid slot, but not quite. Um, Do you see what happened, though? Because they started pushing it the other way. And then, and then it's like they realised, oh, wait, we need, to, we need to go to the pits, don't we? They were pushing it to the opposite side, like, to retire it. And they were like, oh, no, we're going to try and fire it up and get them going. So they nearly never got up to the pits in time. <laughs> Then ultimately, he never got going anyway. I don't think did he? So no, it's a complete wasted exercise. So poor, poor Danny, not uh, not his finest, finest weekend. No, he um, barely completed a lap. I think. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, as you were kind of thing, uh, Lewis beating Nico uh, in qualifying to pole, which is on one lap you would generally give Lewis the edge. Sebastian beating Kimi on one lap you'd generally give him the edge. So yeah, as you were. The start though, that's when it all kicked off. That's when it got interesting. Eh? Well, suddenly it seemed... From uh, nowhere, like going into the race, you thought, oh, it's just a Mercedes dominance again. And then bang, first first corner. Okay, we've got a race on our hands. So it was really really Vettel's start that, that sort of started it. Um, do you think that was just two really good starts from the Ferraris and two bad starts from the Mercedes? I was going to say the same thing. Do you think Ferrari were good or were Mercedes bad? And I'm, or was it a combination of the both? And I'm not sure. Most probably, most likely, a combination of both. There has been a lot of changes. You'll know more about the techie stuff than I do, but there has been a lot of changes with regards to the starting technology. Has there not this year? They've um, they've changed how the clutch behaves. Um, it was um, there was you know they did a lot of things at the end of the last season or you know sort of partway through the other season. Um, to make the drivers be more um, more responsible for the starts, and this time they've, um, I think they've essentially done away with the old double clutch. Um, so now it's a, a singular clutch, I, I believe. Um, so rather than, uh, I, I've only seen a very brief thing of it, and it must be admit it was one of the few things that kind of missed, I, I missed as we were going into the season. Um, but you know, they used to have the two clutch paddles either side. Mm -hmm. Those essentially have been fused. So I assume the clutch can be pulled either left or right, depending on, um, what you, you have a personal preference of. Um, but it's not, yeah, it's not independent either side. So you don't have a, you know, you can't sort of half drop one clutch and then pull in the other or whatever the, the old sequence was. Um, I think that probably did cut, catch up the Mercedes guys. Um, yeah, it seems that way, judging uh, by their comments post-race and stuff. It, you would have to assume that going forward, they'll, they won't be anywhere near as bad as that. I think that would be a one-off. I think to that degree, yeah. Um, 
the rest of the race didn't seem to indicate that there was that magic acceleration from the Ferraris over the Mercedes. They hadn't seemed to have found a way to, you know, accelerate out of the corners that gave them some massive advantage. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think we were lucky in that, that what that did was then cause a mass panic from the, from the Mercedes boys, you know, um, Nico dropping back to third and then Lewis dropping all the way back to, I think it was seventh actually. Um, although he got one of those places back fairly quickly. Um, because without that, I, I, I wonder if, um, the opening, um, the opening laps, 16 laps or so would have maybe not been quite as interesting as they ended up being. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. You mean if the Mercedes didn't have their issues off the line? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I wonder if we'd have had anywhere near the the scrapping and the um, unfolding of the race as um, as we did um, had the, the the Mercs been able to have just driven off and <laughs> and done what they usually do. Um, so Ferrari obviously lightning start, two Ferraris going to first, Rosberg in third, squeezes out Lewis. That was a bit of a talking point. What did you make of that then? Because there was uh, quite a few comments after the race about that. What did you? Um, I think in the end, actually, um, to be fair, I highlighted this on Twitter. Um, if you're following us on Twitter at Last Lap Podcast, um, it was highlighted that Lewis had appeared to have said that he felt he had been squeezed off by um nico uh, mercedes clarified that somewhat by suggesting that that wasn't necessarily the full story and that what lewis had said is that nico had uh had locked up which had then made him go wide rather than suggesting it was unfair yeah um yeah. so i i had you know i certainly don't want to pretend you know be um accused of trying to take something out of context so as far as i can tell that both mercedes drivers kind of went you know unfortunate but didn't go as far as blaming each other and i think that's probably what i would have made from it i think you know nico had to do what he had to do he you know yeah. it's the start um, of a formula one race like you know you're you're gonna get people uh, out breaking themselves into the first and second corners to try and maintain yeah. position and as the driver who's going into the wedge that's you know ultimately going to be closed by the guy who's ahead of you on the outside you just have to be aware from that they were very lucky that it wasn't you know um bigger contact you know because it could have been the 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 back of rosberg's tire like lewis in spa yeah could um, have been a puncture or it could have or been, it could have been the, or... the removal of his front wing yeah uh, and you know and lewis to the the back of the grid the key thing for me in the incident was if that was two people in completely different teams i don't think we'd even have talked about it no it's only because they're in the same team no it bent his front end fence didn't it do you know what i mean it wasn't even like it was that bigger contact. It was an absolute run of the mill sort of thing that happens <laughs> at the start of every Grand Prix, uh, and it's just because it was Nico and Lewis. It was highlighted. If that was Felipe uh, Massa and Max Verstappen, we probably wouldn't even have picked up on it. Really. No, well, and of course the interesting thing is, I think it was was it Valtteri Bottas got a puncture on the first in the first corner. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. And that was with contact with Jensen Button. Um, and none of the Sky guys seemed to pick it up because um, they were they were saying, "Oh, well, if you look here, there's there's you know there was 
uh, Bottas and somebody else might have been Gutierrez or somebody like that where there wasn't really actually any contact in those areas to cause a puncture but you could see in the first thing um, you know sort of uh, Jensen had had a good start got ahead and then um, Bottas I think also locked up as well um, and you know in um, when they'd when they'd come across he'd caught um, Jensen um, a little bit uh, and that's what actually caused the initial thing because Jensen ended up well maybe it was Fernando it was one of the McLarens who ended up then farther back I think I think so yeah it was Jensen who ended up farther back because then obviously after they had that initial he was out wide and all the other bits and pieces um, but you know Sky didn't didn't pick it up for me and nobody else was talking about it after the race <laughs> so I, I completely agree with you yeah if it, if it hadn't been two Mercedes I don't think anybody would have said you know no we wouldn't anything have just about because it. Just because Nico and Rosberg, uh, Nico and Lewis, sorry, and you know Belgium from a couple of years ago, and all of that stuff is the only reason anybody, you know, it was it was it was a complete racing incident, something that happens every single week, uh, and anybody else we would probably barely mention it. So, so Seb gets away. I'm uh, at this point. I'm <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting on the couch at half five in the morning half sleeping watching the start and very quickly I, I lean forward and go okay I'm interested do go on Formula 1 carry on uh, and then obviously Seb, Seb builds up a bit of a lead Lewis is fighting back he gets stuck behind Max for a good uh, I can't pass him can't and pass him yeah, that was so telling and it it was you would just expect that the Mercedes you know in the last two seasons would have just drove past them down the straight you know yeah so um, very interesting. Is it for the Toro Rosso? Is I perhaps, think it was genuine. It was genuine pace from from the Toro yeah, Rosso. To be it's honest, it's like they're the new Williams almost. Very tough in a straight line. You know, tough to get past. You know, you, like the way the Williams was for the last sort of season or two. You expected them on the big long straights to be really competitive in the speed traps and stuff. I wonder if the Toro Rosso might might be the guy for that this season, perhaps. Ray Lewis couldn't get near him, you know, down the street. Interesting as well because they're using the uh, last year spec Ferrari engine in, yep. in that car. It's not even the the update. Not one. even the new one. Yeah, you're right. Um, so. And Ferraris have spent a lot of tokens on on that engine. So, um, so yeah, yeah Lewis so, is on the radio begging for a strategy change quite early on because he's got no, he's losing his race is falling away from him because he's yeah. stuck behind Max. Uh, in a way, in a way, uh, quite lucky that they decided to change and not um not keep him because he was they were you know definitely looking for both of the drivers to be doing a um uh a two-stop race uh it seemed to me um that um that that was the mercedes plan all along uh, and it was other teams looking at doing the the yeah. one stop. Well, that's kind of generally the way Mercedes operated the last couple of seasons, hasn't it? They didn't. They do the sort of bog standard two stop race when they can because they've got the pace to be able to control the race and make that work for them without. And it's it's what you probably described as the safest strategy. Whereas someone like a Force India or a Williams is much more inclined to take a punt and stick the same set of tires on for fifty laps and hope that they get away with it. You know. So yeah. It looked as if that was the way they were going. Obviously, Lewis gets stuck behind Max. All changes because Vettel's getting away at front, up the front. 
Lewis pops in for the medium tyres, and I think it was the very next lap was when the red flag happened. Yeah, and I think that's you know that's certainly the the way it seemed from my point of view that you know the, Lewis was begging for the undercut to try and get in and get out ahead of of whatever Verstappen was going to do, and uh, then we had that incident. Yep, that was. That's the, a crash and a half, wasn't it? Scariest, the most, the scariest one we've seen for a while, for sure. Um, it reminded me a bit. Um, Nick Heidfeld had a, um, not it wasn't particularly similar, but it had the, the same kind of thing of um, getting caught under the wheels and then being flung. Um, his was quite scary because he ended up sort of hitting fencing and um, landing in barriers. But um, Is this it, Formula E? it was in Formula E. Yeah, I've not seen that one then. Um, it, it's a. It was a massive crash. It was a really big, a big one. He walked away from it, but um, so Fernando Alonso comes across um, the Haas of Esteban Gutierrez. Um, I assume that they're racing at this point. I'm, I'm assuming it's, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, he wasn't getting blue flagged or anything like that. No, I, yeah, it was definitely for racing position. I think. Yeah. Um, and. From my point of view, I see Gutierrez slide to the right and then take a little dab of left to bring him back over to the left-hand side. And Fernando Alonso has already sized him up. He's right underneath his rear wing, um, goes to the left because that's where the gap is because he can see that Gutierrez is going right. Um... Gutierrez breaks some 20-odd yards ahead of him. Um, Fernando doesn't have any real time to do anything about it. Goes straight through the back wheels of the Haas. Um, pretty much the front of the car is disintegrated by the, no by the nose. He slides on his side um, as he goes over the last edge of the curb and into the gravel trap. The car digs slightly, flicks up in the air, uh, and then sort of continues nose downward until it um, hits back down into the ground, thankfully, uh, and then sort of hits into the barrier. Um, it could have been so much worse had he continued through the air, hitting the um, barrier and wall head-on, if you like the top of the car meeting yeah. the, the fence parallel. Uh, it could have been very nasty. It was almost very lucky that it... Um, the, the nose dug into the ground and almost sort of flipped it downwards again. Very uh, scary. And he crawls out of the tiny space in between the car um, and the wall and sort of limps off to the side. Um, <laughs> Only Fernando, eh? well, <laughs> just, just limping along like some sort of warrior in a battle. You know, like. um, I'm sure he'd have limped back to a spare car had there been one. Yeah. Um, Gutierrez, fair play, goes over and checks on him immediately after having come on the radio saying, you know, asking how um, Alonso was. Um, uh, and fair play to Alonso for, you know, he shook his hand and, you know, patted him on the back. And, I, and I'm sure that's the experienced Formula One driver, you know, <laughs> being fairly aware that a, a junior colleague is probably almost more shook up than he is, mm -hmm. having seen the car do what it did. Um or possibly that he didn't even know where the hell he was, um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, and they go off, and he's he's you know speaking to the press with within about five laps later, um, amazing. 
unbelievable. Um, I agree more or less with you with the assessment of the actual incident. It's just a just a touch of inexperience from Gutierrez. Eh? Not, and you know the fact as well that he's in a what is probably a slower car, breaking a little bit earlier, bit of inexperience, and it's just it's just tripped up Alonso. Uh, I don't really blame Gutierrez that much. I yeah, like I say, I I still think you know, I, I think he made two very slight moves, um, and he shouldn't have done that. Uh, I, I, I agree. don't think he weaved in a way to yeah, you know. That's my point. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, it was just a, a complete, like you say, a touch in experience. Uh, and what was that? His, I think as well that was his first Grand Prix in a couple of years as well. So, not saying that uh, that's that's why the incident happened, but certainly a bit of ring rust, maybe. I don't know, but either way, all we can say is thank God Fernando's all right. I haven't seen the crash. Uh, it was what the, the car, what the, what was left yeah, of the car oh, afterwards. Unbelievable, and you know, the th- the telling thing for me is when we were watching it live, it cuts to Gutierrez in the gravel trap, and Alonso's car is such a mess. That you don't even notice it for like thirty seconds, no. like because it's just a ball of scrap metal that you can't even see. And then Brundle goes, "Is that a car at the top?" He's like shocked. He's like, "That is. That's a McLaren. That's a destroyed McLaren. What on earth has happened to Alonso?" Like it takes him thirty seconds to realise what's happened because Alonso's car is in such disintegration. You can barely see it in the shot. And and then obviously it shows the replay. And Brundle, who had the big shunt himself, there is just like, "Yeah, that brings back some memories." Like. Is because it's quite similar to Brundle's one. There was the, the certainly the amount of turning was was fairly similar. Um, so yeah, just unbelievable. Um, and the fact that Alonso could get out and walk away is just uh, I've never quite. I don't think I've seen anything quite like that actually. Just Alonso, like the wreckage from a nuclear bomb or something, walking out of the dust like limping. Superb. It was great to see. It was okay. We um, had an initial safety car uh, that very quickly turned into a red flag. Um, I guess the 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 problem with that was is that they probably saw the accident and didn't really get to see the debris because if all the TV cameras were focused on, uh, you know, the sort of smouldering McLaren halfway. Well, in fact, nearly out of the gravel gravel trap. Um, and then when as soon as you saw that actually, um, you know, there was two cars pretty much covering the whole entire track coming into that turn they very quick quickly red flagged it um yeah it was a ton of debris an absolute ton of debris that meant all the cars came into the pits they didn't line up on the grid which is what i thought was the um well did you think they would have a like a a stand and start with the lights and stuff well i thought well I, i thought that when you had a red flag when they've red flagged other races they've gone and lined up on the um start uh start and pit entry uh sorry on the on the start finish line start finish line in in the order that they were in the race yeah um and then um went on from there i i wonder i wonder if they said uh, i don't know if that's a new starting restart procedure whether they thought there was because there was so much debris they couldn't afford to let the lap people go round again slowly to end up at the back of the 
thing or, or I, I don't know actually no because there wouldn't have been any lap people at that thing so i really don't understand why it ended up in the start uh in the pit lane um that meant that all the people who had pitted originally before that so that was all the people who were going for the two stop where the the pit window was somewhere between sort of lap 12 and lap um 16 um had gone out lost position and were now on um kind of well they weren't necessarily stuck on a, a tire strategy but they you know they'd they'd committed some amount of soft tires into into this strategy um whereas those who hadn't pit uh, hadn't pitted or um were just about to pit um came in and um switched to the medium tire uh to go for the rest of the race mm -hmm. so they got a free pit stop basically um well more than a free pit stop because they got the free pit stop and the free laps um that they didn't have to run on the tires whilst the um whilst everything was in the pits um so I, I think the interesting thing to come out of there was that both ferrari and the remaining mclaren stuck with the faster tire almost in fact pretty much everybody else then went to the medium tire and attempted yep. to turn it into a one-stop now kind of jumping ahead and how that all works out doesn't it suddenly look very clever of mercedes to have done all their winter testing <laughs> on I the medium were, tire? i knew you were going to mention the winter testing <laughs> Just, I mean, what a coincidence that having done their all their winter testing on the medium, the very first race of the season requires a solid big ass stint on the medium tire. Like it just fell into place perfectly for them, didn't it? Whereas Ferrari, who didn't didn't use it anywhere near as much, Brundle mentioned in commentary, they were they seemed terrified to even look at the medium tire. They didn't even consider using it. They wanted super softs and softs. Uh, whereas the Mercedes, having done all those laps, were just like, yeah, we'll pop the medium tire on and do thirty-five laps, whatever. No, no sweat, no sweat to the Merck boys. We can do that, and that's what they did, and it worked out for them, as 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 we we quickly saw. I thought for about maybe a lap or two after the restart, Seb comes out on the on the super softs, Nico on the uh, on the mediums, and and with the intention of pulling away, creating a gap, pitting, getting back out in front. And Bob's your uncle. I thought for about a lap that he was going to be able to do that, and then I quickly realised, no, this is not, this is not happening here. Uh, they've not quite got this right, and it was all going to come down to it. Then ultimately, if the if the tire would last, and and it and it just did. Mercedes obviously knew that it would because yep. they'd done all the running and testing, so they were obviously pretty confident. Uh, but the, I thought Ferrari should have pitted Seb a little earlier. Uh, so he's trying to make this uh, this gap up to the Mercedes, and it quickly becomes apparent that he probably can't beat Rosberg. But he still had a 15-20 second gap to Lewis. And if they'd put him in early, he would have got back. Well, what the, what they did he was... lost a bit of time to Lewis. You know, he well, lost a few seconds, and I wonder if it made a difference. But uh, I, think, I think ultimately it might have... Um, but what have they done? What they've done is say, well, we've committed to this strategy. Yeah, so they went for it, yeah. So they said, well, you have to run that tyre for as long as possible and then we'll put you on the softs, the in-between tyre, so that you should be quicker than the Mercedes. You'll have to make up the difference. 
and you know he was technically within a few laps of doing that before he spun off at the end um so i you know uh, there's been a lot of rounding on ferrari for making a terrible strategy choice and in reality if you were playing it safe you should have gone for the one stop because ultimately it's quicker at that point and it should have been fairly obvious that it was quicker at that point but i think what happened to me the way i the way i viewed it anyway is they were trying to win the race they were trying to make sebastian vettel first place and i think if they'd matched the strategy of rosberg coming out of the pits at the safety car restart post red flag if they had both been on the same tire for the same length of time for the rest of the race under the safety car and then carrying on going forward, Rosberg would have beat him. Fair and square on pace. I think Ferrari knew that had they matched exactly what Merck done, Merck probably would beat them on pace nine, nine times out of ten. So they thought, well, we'll go completely different and try and win the race. And what it ultimately ended up doing was costing them second to Lewis. Uh, had they matched Rosberg coming out of the pits under the safety car, they probably would have lost out to Rosberg on pure pace. But they might have, I don't know, might have been able to hold off Lewis, who was fu- a bit further back in the, in the, uh, in the pecking order. Uh, so, I think all that, the, I think the strategy blunder has cost them second. I don't think they would have won the race regardless. What I think became apparent to me was quite how different each of the cars was on, on that tire. It was quite clear that some cars were good on the mediums and some cars weren't. So, as an instance, the Force Indias had, you know, been blitzing times, you know, were, were quite clearly, clearly very quick. Um, but when it, you know, when it comes down to the finishing, Hulkenberg finishes seventh, not catching the guy in front of him. Sergio Perez finishes 13th. Um, nowhere. And for all of Force India's quick running on the super softs and softs, Couldn't it, handle it, the it, it melted away when trying to deal with the medium tyres. And I think that's an interesting thing because I think the same thing happened to the McLaren as well. In that, um, you know, Jensen tried for the soft tyres. That didn't work. So he came in for the mediums. He didn't do what Seb did and, and try and hold on and come back. He he went in for the mediums uh, and went backwards. Uh, and I think it's it's clear that some some cars can probably get heat into those tyres and make them work. Uh, and other cars, you know, were simply finding it too difficult to get mm-hmm. the ultimate pace out of that. Um, and, for, and Mercedes, having done the test and ran in, in winter, obviously knew they could. Uh, Ferrari seemed scared to go onto the tyres. So I wonder if they knew like, that probably isn't going to work for us. Well, one of the funniest things was I'm sure last season Ferrari were the team that were good on the on the slower tyre because they could get heat into it. So you know whether what they've done with the engine spec or anything like that has now made them fearful that actually what they've got a car is is a car that doesn't put heat in the tyres. It looks after the tyres better now. That was always their Achilles heel somewhat last season was that the tyres didn't last as long as, the, you know, the Mercedes boys could run longer on the same tyres. Whether they've gone back from that to say, okay, we need to, you know, have something that that doesn't shred the tyres quite, so, you know, doesn't put the heat in the tyres and now that's going to cost them at any race uh, alongside other teams as well. That's going to cost them at races where that soft, comp- that hardest compound becomes a viable tire for the race. 
we can only, you know, it's only a supposition at this point. It's too early on in the season to know whether that's going to happen or not. But it could be a case that anytime there's a, you know, there's a mixed up um, in the strategy and there's a, you know, a chance that you can avoid a stop by going on to the hardest of, of the tyres, not the, you know, not the second hardest, but the, the hard one that you normally would avoid and that they've generally bought less of. Suddenly there's a load of cars on the grid that have a massive advantage strategy-wise because they can probably cover all of their bases, whereas some teams are now going to probably think, hmm, do I really want to bring, do you know, do I really want to be relying on our medium tyre pace? It certainly opens up a whole new avenue of the of of getting from lap one to lap sixty or whatever. It, it, it's it's gonna. It's, uh, I found it very interesting. It's the most interesting I've been in strategy and throughout a race for several seasons at least because for the last two or three years it became very much we're all just going to run this tyre, then we're all going to put in one the same lap, and then we're all going to run this tyre, and that was the end of the race. And you'd get 95% of the grid doing exactly the same, and then one rogue Sergio Perez or something doing the complete opposite. And you'd, and you'd, and you'd watch him to see how it worked out, and occasionally flick the podium or whatever. But it became very much, we all the strategies, we all know the quickest way, so we're all just going to do the same. Whereas now it was kind of just like, I'll be a bit like nobody quite knows what they're doing, kind of thing. Well, one thing for me, one thing for me at least, is that it seemed to give credence and validation to the overly complicated tyre regulations mm-hmm. that yeah. you know we had in previous seasons. There would have been no hardest option, although I don't think that's the case. I think they'd have had softs and mediums here, and they get the super soft as the the extra compound. I'm pretty sure that's the way it works. It's not that. Everybody out of choice bought a couple of hard tires with them, <laughs> um, so you know I'm I'm skeptical on that side of it. But um... from a from a spectator point of view, it, it seemed I think it worked. It seemed like it did, but Brando was big fan of it as well. Well, you know, I, I it, it worked in this situation. It absolutely worked. But Obviously, we've only had the one race. Exactly, it's only one race, and I. I still question whether under most other races, because again, Albert Park is a bit of a funny race. If you look at the um, allocations that they've given themselves for Bahrain, there's suddenly a lot more medium tyres on everybody's things, but they chose these 13 weeks ago. Remember? So it's not like they've suddenly all decided that they need to bring more medium tyres because of last week. They chose these a very, very long time ago. So teams have crunched numbers and they know the circuits so i i don't think there will be a big variance race to race i still think you'll find that most races will be two compound races apart from as you said the the old sergio perez who goes you know what i can probably do it on this you know if i'm smart about it and you know, it just it just inserts that little extra layer of unpredictability, though, and that's all I'm looking for. We're in a world where we don't get refueling. Uh, it just it's just that little, tiny little extra variable in strategy, I cling to. 
I'm I'm gonna wait and see what it what it does. I'm not poo pooing the idea that it maybe actually it will be a bit of a season saver, um, but it, it it was I I really feel that it it was overemphasized this race because we had the red flag mm-hmm. and it allowed more people to suddenly choose this not favored tire, um, and I think without that you'd have seen ma- much more people doing the the two stop strategy. Um, you wouldn't you, and the people who would have got the the one stopper would have been the people who were thinking, well, maybe I can sneak a ninth or tenth here if I'm if I'm lucky, you know, and I, I can get track position and keep the keep the other guys who'll be quicker doing the two, you know, at the end of the race on the two stop behind me, if you know, if I'm smart about what I do. And I don't well, think that, I don't think that was most people. Like you say, it's the first race. It's, we've had a mad race as well, which involved a red flag, so it's extremely difficult to draw conclusions. But my hunch having watched one race is that I like it and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens going forward might come back in three races of time and go oh Mercedes was a fluke uh, sorry Albert Park was a fluke it was rubbish but <laughs> right now <laughs> I've got to be optimistic about some things <laughs> I'm optimistic about tyres fair enough <laughs> more optimistic about tyres than I've been for about five seasons so put it that way so yeah Rosberg uh Gets to win. Didn't quite take the pole in qualifying, but he got the he got the big one that mattered at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Lewis, bit of a recovery drive into second. Uh, would Vettel have passed him? Ebbs and butts and maybe he's, he was the fact that he was he hadn't got it done by the time he made the error, I'm not sure he would have got it done. Uh, we'll never know. We'll never find out. But I think Lewis was uh, ultimately quite happy with his second. And Sebastian was in third. So after all that it was kind of as you were. Yes. <laughs> Ultimately, wasn't it? <laughs> After going around the houses, uh, yeah, we ended up pretty much with what we expected, with the possible exception of Rosberg finishing ahead of Hamilton, depending on your viewpoint between those two. So, yeah, I wasn't bothered, even though it was a predictable final f- uh, front three, ultimately, in the end. It didn't bother me because I felt like we'd, we'd had an interesting race. So... I can live with a predictable podium if if it's been an interesting race to get there. And I felt we got that this weekend. So Daniel Ricciardo finished in fourth place in the Red Bull. Um, Quietly going about his business. That he Red did. Bull was a little bit, little bit quicker as well, than I didn't he, I think? I can't, I can't remember, did he? I think he stopped before, I think he stopped before the, the red flag went on to softs and then went on to super softs at the end, I think. Um, because enough, yeah. he got, he was very far back and then not only was he fourth, though he was um, quite a far, quite a far way ahead of Massa. Well, he he comfortably passed Massa when he came out of the yeah. pits because he was ahead of him anyway. Came in because his tyres were given out, uh, and obviously Massa was on the mediums um, uh, and passed him quite easily um, before the end of the race. That's got to give all Red Bull fans hope. Well, but yeah, a little bit of um, encouragement, isn't it? You know, we were kind of we were kind of worried about them in our season preview, weren't we? We were kind of not. Not quite sure what they were going to be. It could have been anything with the engine up in the air from last season. I think it. I think it shows that at the core, the Rebel is still a well-designed car. Um, yep, they still know how to build a good Formula One car. Ultimately, so I think you know. Again, I think fourth might be a little bit of a step too far for them. I don't think they'll be getting fourth place for you know that kind of for fifth place regularly um and i think other cars could be faster than them on other days 
fairly easily. But um, at least it shows that um, it, it's not going to be a dismal season where um, you know they're they're struggling to uh, get into the points. Um, yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I think ultimately if Mercedes and Ferrari are going to be the top two teams by a fair margin, and then anybody in the midfield, depending on how their car's set up and how it suits the track, could be could be the rest. It could it could. Force India's could beat Red Bulls, Toro Rosso's could beat Force India's, Williams could beat Toro Rosso's, Red Bulls could beat Williams's, just depending on any given day uh, and the nature of the track. This week it's obviously suited Danny, he's drove a good race in the fourth. So Felipe Massa finishes fifth for Williams. Um, again, I think possibly slightly ahead of where they might actually be on the track. Um, I think they might well be behind the Toro Rossos in reality. It's uh, interesting because we say that about the Toro Rossos and they've got, they looked at all this pace, but they ultimately finished ninth and 10th. Uh, I will get to them and I think there is a, there is a reason why. And it, it, it all starts, circumstances. yeah, it all starts from our sixth place finisher. Um, <laughs> like, ah, can we talk about Roman Grosjean? Let's, <laughs> let's talk about our favourite. Um, I'm so pleased. Swiss so Frenchman. pleased for Roman Grosjean. Love Roman Grosjean. And delighted that Haas have scored points in their first Grand Prix. Having said, what did we say last week? It would mean. It would make it look very silly if Haas turned up and were worse than Manor and just did the trot around the back that. Um, HRT and Caterham did in their first three seasons. It would make it look so silly for any for Formula One. It would make it look so impossible to get. Like, to, you could never attract a new team again. The fact that they've been able to turn up and they got very lucky with their strategy, but the fact that they've been able to turn up and be competitive right off the bat just justifies everything and setting up a new Formula One team and stuff. Well, at, at the end of the day. Grosjean put on those medium tyres during, you know, um, during the red flag as his only stop. And he made them work to the end of the race. Uh, Able to keep a Force India and a Williams behind him. Um, I think a lot of that is credit to Roman because I'm sure there were probably points where those Force Indias could probably have gotten past... um, a less experienced um, driver, I think, you know, Gutierrez in that same position probably yeah. loses out to Hulkenberg and Bottas and yep. probably the Toro Rossos. So, I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, in an age where we sometimes struggle to see how important drivers are to the, you know, to the sport, I think Grosjean showed there that, you know, with experience and now it's about you, you can put cars in positions that they shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't actually be. Um, it's a bit how... of a throwback to Mark Webber sort of coming sixth in the 2002 and things like that. Like, it was great to see. It was really it was really heartening to see. Um, h- however long it lasts in the season, the least that they know is that almost certainly they're going to finish ahead of the Manners. Um, <laughs> it just shows that, you know, I mean, this is their first Grand Prix, so they're going to improve, surely. They're going to, they're going to improve as time goes on, so... I think that's. I mean, that, that I debate you with that. 
Um, I don't mean I don't mean throughout the season. I just mean sort of in in, in the next five years. Like, I think I think what it does is it makes them a much more viable proposition for sponsorship and all the other bits and pieces if they show that they will you know pop up you know people will take an interest in them because there's no interest in the manners you know and i don't mean that in a disrespectful way but people aren't aren't really interested in the manor team um particularly as an f1 team they're a bit of a you know that bit of the oddity the minardi sort of thing where it's you know you go oh look bless uh um and if Haas can get away from being a you know an R bless backmarker, then even to somewhere of like Sauber's level, would I be mean, a success for them. Yeah, I don't actually see any reason why they can't be ahead of Sauber this season at all. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see their pace in Bahrain just to know. Obviously, yes. this was such a mad race. I'll be looking forward to seeing a race that's a little bit as silly as it sounds, but more dull, just so it gives us some. An idea a bit more of just pure pace. That that that'll be interesting to see because yeah, the, the red flag. Grosjean got his free pit stop basically uh, and was able to make the. St- I say credit to Roman. He was able to stay where he was, but he got where he was because of the red flag. So yeah, a wee a, a duller race might will tell us more basically, uh, but just the fact that he was able to compete with the midfield for thirty laps on pure pure pace uh they were were all roughly the same tires they were all roughly uh on the same strategy and and roman was able to to keep the keep the the hulkenberg and the bottas honest and uh, the way you would say is if that was marcus erickson or felipe nazar and the sauber who'd fluked that position after strategy uh, after red flag for the strategy they wouldn't have kept hulkenberg and bottas behind i've put nazar sauber where grosjean was after the Mm. red flag They'd have passed it. They'd have yep. passed. They'd have passed both the manners very easily. Yeah. I'd argue they'd probably have passed the McLaren. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, the, the the way they didn't. They, the McLaren didn't seem to handle the the medium tire as we touched on earlier. So yeah, bags of credit to Grosjean and bags of credit to Haas. So seventh and eighth was Hulkenberg and uh, Bottas. Um, I've just realised now that when I said Bottas got a puncture in the first thing, it wasn't Bottas, it was Magnussen um, getting my, my fins and my Danes um, right enough, yeah. Confused there. Um, yeah, just no pace it seemed. Um, came towards the the end of the thing. I, I think they had would have had slightly better tyres uh, than Roman at that point. And um, Thing is, they know it as well. Like uh, they came out the day or, or yesterday and said, "We we're we're not as quick as we should be." Like they they know it. Uh, they need to improve. They've gone backwards since last season, probably. So work to be done. Uh, and then we get to arguably the the second yeah, most interesting, interesting thing of the race. Uh, yeah, definitely. Carlos Sainz in ninth and Max Verstappen in tenth in the two Toro Rossos. Uh, Max qualifying in fifth. Um, so a good turn of pace from him. Um, ultimately, though, um, ultimately, what we're left with is um, the squabbling um, as Carlos Sainz managed to um, pit ahead of uh, Max. Um, and 
end up ahead of him on track. Max unhappy that he, you know he didn't get the prefer preferential call after saying he was complaining about the tires. Um, and then when um, Sainz was caught up behind what was a battling performance from Julian Palmer in the in the Renault, which um, looked like a dog in qualifying, but he managed to um, really you know hold his place for such a long time <laughs> against what seemed like such an you know. An inevitable, um, a bit move. like Grosjean, eh? A bit of just keeping yeah. a car that probably shouldn't be there, you know, parking it on the apex and just refusing to budge. Just make well, obviously, what we've got is the latest spec Renault engine, um, in a probably worse designed car versus last year's Ferrari engine in, in what we might argue is a better developed car. Um, and I think the Renault was simply able to generate better speed out of the corners um that kept him ahead and didn't allow you know the cast to pass in it and i think it really took the fact that that was taking life out of jolian's tires um to drive like that because obviously you're putting your you know you're putting a lot of effort in out of every single corner probably spinning the wheels more than you know the guys behind you who are taking speed into the corners and not necessarily rubbing their tires that way um but he kept him behind for like five or six laps, didn't he? Um, yeah. I was impressed by Julian. I, uh, I must have I, I was very much as well, actually. I yeah. said on the uh, the previous show and stuff that I, I didn't know much about him. It was, it was, it was, I, I, it was there to, you know, I, this weekend was the first I was really getting to know Julian Palmer. And yeah, colour me impressed. And he he seems like such a nice chap as well, which is always it's always good when you you know when you've got another nice guy on the on the grid. Um, but back to the Toro Rossos, we then got Max Verstappen very sweary and aggressive, yeah. saying that he should be let by. He's faster than Carlos and all the other bits and pieces. And Carlos being told that he's got to push or will be told to let let him by. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Last season, Max Verstappen said he wasn't going to let Carlos Sainz by. Why should he? And he didn't. And everybody thought that that was, you know, amazing and what a great call and how dare a driver be told to move over. Twitter, after this race, seemed to be full of people suggesting that Carlos Sainz should have gotten out of Max Verstappen's way because clearly he was faster. I'm like, it's really? Just, when when Ma did this Ma happen? Max is getting this annoying <coughs> because he's, he's, he's the golden boy, isn't he? And he's beginning to develop this annoying sense of entitlement. I'm not saying he's he is coming across as entitled, although he didn't do didn't do himself any favors this weekend. But like, it's fat that the people that support him come across with an air of that, like they think that it's taken as given that he should he's the number one in that team almost. Mm -hmm. And it's and 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 well, he's not. He shouldn't be. And did Sainz not outscore him last season? I believe he so, did. So, you know, yeah, Max has done flashes of excellent stuff. But there's a lot more to Formula One than yes. one over one overtake in a, in a dandier corner Le in a 21-race season. You know? just, because you're, just because you remember the 20-yard screamer, you yeah. know, that doesn't mean the guy who plays centre-back and does all the, 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 the good things should be... Is any less important, you know, or, or if not more important, and that's that, that's 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 the analogy for me. Let us not forget that Pastor Maldonado is in a Formula One 
race winner. Correct. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> a flash so, of yeah, brilliance like, does not in itself, uh, you know. Ma- Max has all the potential in the world, but he's an 18-year-old kid in his second season in Formula One. He's not Sebastian Vettel. He's not Michael Schumacher. He can't show one lap of quicker pace than his teammate and demand to be ahead of him. And of course, it's worth remembering that this is a point where Carlos Sainz is attempting to pass somebody who is making it <coughs> making it incredibly difficult to get past. He's not driving as fast as he possibly can. Do you know what I mean? He's pushing as hard as he can, but you know, if every time he's about, to, you know, he's about to go faster than what Palmer was. Uh, probably doing on a lap, but Palmer's in a place that means he can't get past him. He's not going to go as fast. So every time, you know, as it showed, you know, he he, sp- you know, he crashed into the back of his own teammate for a start, um, and spun, and then caught up to him again. It's not because Carlos Sainz is slow. It's because he was being held up in exactly the same way that you know you can't suggest that Valtteri Bottas was naturally quicker than Nico Hulkenberg just because he caught up with him. You know, it, it's a bit like. Um... It's a bit like take take Max again as the example in reverse when he was ahead of Lewis. Lewis couldn't get by Max Verstappen, not because Lewis Hamilton, you know, Lewis wasn't driving slow or anything. He just couldn't get by because there was somebody holding him up in in front of him, and, and it was the same for Science. And yeah, I don't know. Max was just a bit. It's the first time that he's he's for me that his his age has really been apparent. You know. Yeah, I, I don't think you should be saying things are an effing joke because you're not being given preferential treatment. That just when you're an 18 year old second season rookie, yeah. you know there, there are people who, uh, you know, have had to work a million times harder. Carlos Sainz has had to work harder and longer to get into Formula One than Max Verstappen is, you know, and <laughs> you know. Just because it all comes to you on a plate, that doesn't mean that that's how Formula One is going to work. In fact, as it's proven time and time again, it's completely the opposite of the way it works. Things will will very quickly be taken away with you know from you, yep, especially you... especially in that team. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't doesn't take very long. You know, it, it, the hilarious thing would be if it, you know it would be if he was snapped up by one of the top teams and they put him in a race drive, and you know when you put him at the front in a uh, in a car that's actually racing for the race victory, it, it turned out that his race craft was incredibly suspect, and that you know he wasn't really the kind of world champ that everybody suggests he was. Um, that's after... what I'm saying. Like, science scored more points than him last season. You know, everybody talks about Verstappen. I'm, I'm just going to double check that because I'm going to sound like an idiot <laughs> if I'm not the case. But yeah, like Verstappen might well go on to be a world champion, but. A little bit of perspective isn't there yet kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, whilst you do that, let's talk about, um, for um, for our mega fan, Carly, let's talk about the Renault team. Um, 11th and 12th probably doesn't sound really like too much of an achievement, but given that in, in Q2 they were three seconds off of the pace, uh, or four, nearly four seconds off of the pace of the yeah. Mercedes... Um, and therefore, nearly a second behind the the, the McLaren uh, that they qualified behind. Um, that's going to be a massive result, really. Um, I'm going to sound like a right idiot. Max outscored Carlos Sainz by double points last season. Why did I get in my head that Carlos Sainz was ahead of Max? 
Oh, I don't know. We did discuss this and suggested that because um, he had a terrible. Uh, Carlos Sainz got all of the the bad luck last season. Bad luck, he? yeah. I don't know why I had in my head that Sainz was ahead of Max Verstappen last season's tournament, uh, last season's championship. So yeah, not bad. <laughs> no, <laughs> but still, all my points remain. Like Max shouldn't be so petulant on the radio just because you know if it's he, perceived he's, he's he's got a slightly faster package on the day, you know. Uh, but yeah, that, yeah, you're right. I mean, Sainz did have all the bad luck. Retirement, 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 retirement. But yeah, I don't know why I had in my head that uh, he was finished ahead of, ahead of Max. Oh, I know what it is. I, do, I know what it is. It's Fiat that finished ahead of Ricardo. Uh, I'm getting my Toro Rosso's and my Red Bulls mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is. And I remember having a conversation about the perceived second driver beating the first string driver and for some mm-hmm. reason I must have had in my head that it was Toro Rosso but it wasn't it was Danny Fiat actually outscored Danny Ricardo last season so there we go that's what it is so yeah cool uh, so, bad. But yeah. moving on to Renault so back to hashtag Team Banana um, Team Banana trademark Team Banana I, I'd like to trademark that <laughs> I came up with that I it love the be... livery it's interesting it's nice I'm at least so you can... glad to see some colour I'm glad it's not black <laughs> at least you can immediately tell who it is that you're looking at on track it has to be I'm said. so glad it isn't grey <laughs> like McLaren and Force India and Mercedes they're all black and grey get some colour in there boys yeah so well done the Renault guys great livery um, Palmer ahead of Magnussen um, I'm sure Magnussen had Oh, yeah, Magnussen had the puncture at the start, which probably, you know, slightly robbed us from seeing um, what those two would be like in a head-to-head battle uh, on track and race pace and obviously with the red flag. Um, but like I say, I, I think 11th and, 11th and 12th and f- from from where qualifying suggested they might be is a very good result and something that they can actually take, you know, a positive from. And, and both cars finished the race. Um, Just kind of back to what I was saying in a previous show is that when, when they got... But there was so much uncertainty uh, in the in the off season over the takeover and stuff. We couldn't we couldn't expect miracles from them. And like you said, two two cars finishing the race, reliability solid. Both drivers looked good. You know, plenty of positives to take, and I'm sure there'll be points scoring uh, finishes for them down the line. Uh, just just when they get a bit more settled as their own team again, because they, they never, it took them that long to get the takeover that. That had to have affected yeah, you know, the, development. Design, the development of the car. So, you know, hopefully three, four, five, six, seven races into the season, we'll, we will see that car should improve and there should be points scoring for that. And both drivers, I'm a big fan of Magnussen anyway, and like I said, Palmer impressed me this weekend. So both drivers look like, you know, they can, they can do a job. Uh, Sergio Perez came 13th. I don't really know what happened to him. I don't know whether he had to take an extra pit stop or something like that, why he ended up. Um, you know, nearly, nearly double the places away from Hulkenberg in seventh. Um, I really don't remember anything about his race. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if he was one of those guys that got the the short end of the stick in the with pit stops and the red flag and stuff. Whether he pitted just before, <coughs> and so came out down on the track, and then suddenly. You know, safety car on, so he's got to slow down, and then it was red flag. So by the time everybody else who was ahead of him got into the pits ahead, and he was just just well down, and by the time everybody had changed their strategy, just couldn't you know couldn't get the car anywhere. Um, I'd like to elaborate on his race, but I can't really remember myself. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what happened to Perez. No, 
Um, then Jensen Button in the McLaren in, in 14th. Um, first of the lapped cars, but lapped on the last lap, as far as um, I remember. Is that right? Is that, I see on the stat classifications that he was lapped, but I wasn't sure exactly where yeah, he was. Yeah, Rosberg passed him. He was he crossed the line. He, he was in shot, I think, when, when Rosberg crossed the line for the, <laughs> the first place finish. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it seemed we to be going very well for the for the for the McLarens. They qualifying pace was good um, comparatively, and you know Alonso was running in a steady ninth place. He didn't, you know, wasn't catching up with the cars in front of him, but he wasn't seeming to be swamped by car. And J- Jensen Button lost places in the start, I think, because of his his contact with Magnussen, um, but still had managed to sort of fight his way back to only be a couple of places behind Alonso. Um, and then it just seemed to be that when they bolted on the medium tyres, um, the whole car just wasn't good. And I, I think they they certainly got the rock. The, the you know they 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 put on the softs. Jensen was running well and and sort of caught up and looked like he was doing stuff. But then they'd eaten the tyres, uh, and so he had to pit again. And then at that point, it was quite clear that the medium tyre was the the tyre to be on. But once he'd sort of done all that, he—I think—he ended up behind um, the Sauber of Nazar, and that—that that was the only other car that he managed to to overtake. But it took him, you know, the rest of the race to pretty much do that. I don't know what that spells for McLaren for the rest of the season. I—I was, I was just about to say what where what from here, you know, what's what goes what happens going forward for for the McLaren team the multiple world championship winning team where do we go from here i don't think you can take the finishing place as an example of what's going to happen for the rest of the season i think the fact of the the fact that they qualified ahead of the renaults and like i say they weren't swallowed up within the it's not like within 16 laps the mclarens were back there with um, the Haas team on pace if they were around there it was because they'd pitted earlier and that's who they were around um, I still think there is a ninth, 10th placed car there yep um, I, 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 can, I, I can believe that and I can probably agree with that yeah uh, and whether I don't think that I'm... sorry carry on I was just going to say whether, I, I don't know whether there is better from that car sooner rather than later but i think that's where that car is i think it's um it's q2 very easily and then i think you've just got to wait and see where it all shakes out with i don't think they're a million miles away from the sort of renault's and and force india's of the world i think they're ahead of renault i honestly i genuinely do think they're ahead of renault and i don't and i think this this race ended up not showing that um like I said about uh, with the point I made earlier, well, a duller race will give us more indication of pace. Uh, maybe Bahrain, given the, the reputation that that track's got, will uh, show us exactly where they are. It will certainly be interesting from that standpoint. Even if we get a, a poor spectacle, at least we'll get a, a firm idea of where everybody is on pure pace. It's a, it's a completely flat track, lots of runoff. The, you know, the, the chances of there being anything race-stopping is almost none. Um, yep. I think we're ninety nine percent sure for a two stop race, so the tire strategies will be uh, pretty much identical. I, we will we will get a better shakedown, um, and, and then, and see we, can, they are. And then I, we can we can go from there. Yeah, I think you do, but I, I think if you draw that, if you think that you know realistically, 
Um, I'd say that the McLarens are are probably right right with the Renaults for me, but are willing to be proven wrong post battle. Yeah, I I I wouldn't um I wouldn't hate on the concept that the Renaults might be, you know, in and around the same pace. I, I just just personally from what I I, I saw, I, I think they are ahead, but. They are clearly ahead of the servers and clearly ahead of the manners. Yeah, and I think that, 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 yeah, there's a reasonable chance that they're probably ahead of the Hass as well. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think so too, possibly, uh, ultimately. And I think going back to Grosjean, I think he's just completely outperformed the pace of that car this yeah. weekend. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I've got one question on McLaren before we go on. Yeah, sure. The, the million dollar question that's just coming to my head: Do you think that Fernando Alonso will ever win another Grand Prix? Yes. Will it be for McLaren? Yes. Okay. That's enough for me. Yeah. (laughs) I can't can't really put a massive amount of logic behind that. (laughs) Just pure faith. Sometimes you just need a little faith. (laughs) I just think that there is the possibility that McLaren, having taken that car from where it is to where it is potentially now, could at least within another season give him a car that would be, you know... uh, able to challenge and if he can challenge then he can do it that's just that's just my thought process Fernando Alonso needs a car capable of being in the top five to have an, have a chance of winning the race because yeah. Alonso will drag the car to the victory if an opportunity presents itself it's yes. just getting the car to being in a like, a, like if that if McLaren had the pace of the Ferrari or even maybe the Williams of last season Alonso has always got that ability to to drag something a bit special out on on, a, on any given day, I'm not sure the McLaren can get the car in that position by the time Alonso wants to jack it all in. I, I, I don't have. I think that's I don't the other have, thing is, is that I think everybody assumes that because he's on a three year contract, that's when he's. He might know, not. Yeah, he might stay longer. And I, I, think, I so. think I think you know I think unless the 2017 cars, in general, as far as the regulation changes go, unless they're not good cars to drive because I think that will ultimately be his biggest decider really is that I don't think he likes the way that Formula One has gone um, and I think if it continues down that trend he's less interested in doing it mm-hmm. but I, I don't you know Jensen's the guy who's going to retire first out, out of that team and that's the you reckon most... 2018 we might see Valonso and Van Dorm in the McLaren then uh, I think so I think maybe even 2017 possibly I think, think this might be Jensen's last season. Yeah, that might be. I never, never thought of that. Yeah, there's a chance of that. Yeah, I think, I think there is a possibility of it. I, I, a lot of it will, a lot of it will depend on how the rest of the season go. If Jensen puts in stormers, and and, and, shows, and wants to stay himself, yeah, like, um, so. yeah, I will add that and that as well. Um, you know, he's got a fa- he's got a failed marriage behind him now, based on the fact that they were never together. I, I wonder how long he he fancies. That kind of lifestyle being, you know, his thing, his bag, so to speak. Um, Time will tell. So th- th- there's 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 that as well. So I don't think there's necessarily that somebody says, oh, well, Fernando's got three years and, you know, after three years he'll jack it in. So therefore Van Dorn will go in the car and it'll be Jensen and, and um, VD. Uh, <laughs> I should not call him VD. That's a terrible. <laughs> SVD. <laughs> Probably SVD. better. Yeah, um, <laughs> it isn't necessarily a given for 2018 or even 2017. So, 
that's it. Fifteenth, uh, Felipe Nasa and the Sauber. This is going to be a terrible, terrible season for that team. Yep, I agree. Uh, They're going to struggle if the if the Manor can get any kind of sort of support from Mercedes. There's no reason why the Manor can't put the squeeze on Sauber. No, I think that's that's in, in, an entire possibility. Um, that Sauber has just been. It hasn't done a day's development for about three seasons. No, since Sergio Perez <laughs> was in the car. car. Yeah, it's like the same car again. Like. <laughs> They've just put a different nose on it, really. I think that's that's pretty much what's happened there. Um, and, and Fred Nasser's all right. He's, he's, he's quite a capable, competent driver. But, yeah, he's not someone that's going to drag that team to... <laughs> no, to the dizzy heights. Yeah, like in the way that Alonso improves a car by half a second or... Might I say, Roman Grosjean has improved the car <laughs> could, this weekend. Could be indeed. Fred Nasser isn't going to do that. He's going to turn up. He's going to drive the car that the pace that it should drive, and he'll do it well enough. But he isn't going to go above and beyond. Yeah. Um, Pascal Verlin rounds out our finishes for Manor in sixteenth place. Um, kind of good to see that Manor weren't weren't dreadfully off the pace. Really, um, Man, they looked better than they have in any other yeah, season. Yeah. They looked more like more like a member of the rest of the grid. <laughs> yes, <laughs> rather than not their in their own second entity, like as a second tier. You know, like <laughs> they felt like they'd fight. They, they felt like they were one of the boys now, so to speak. Whereas before, it kind of felt like they were outsiders looking in that just happened to be driving on the same tarmac. <laughs> Whereas now, they kind of feel a bit more like a real team. Yes, so, and and Valen looks like he's got a bit of something. We'll see what he can do. The other guy, I don't know. Rio Harianto, who has the ignominy of getting the first penalty points of the season for driving into, um, I think it was Roman Grosjean in one of the free practice laps. Um, uh, he might be there. Yeah, this guy might fill a pastor in that Donado shit. I'm, I'm wondering, yes. <laughs> if, if possible, the first Indonesian driver might possibly replace our last Venezuelan driver. <laughs> Other DNFs other than Haranto who didn't make it. Uh, Ericsson retired. I can't remember why. Uh, Drive train possibly. Can't remember. Um, Kimi Raikkonen. Um, having a good race as well. That that changed the game a little bit. Raikkonen's retirement. It because did it allowed, a little bit because it, it free it gave. Um, kind of let Lewis get back. Lewis in. have free air, so his tires were yep. better than they probably should have been when he caught up with Vettel. And you know, Kimi Raikkonen continues to record of Felipe Massa's Ferrari. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, absolutely. That second-choice second Ferrari hasn't been, hasn't had any reliability since Eddie Irvine drove it. Like Barrichello, Massa, <laughs> Kimi, nobody can get no. any reliability out of that Ferrari. So like they're only capable of building one car. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Italian way, isn't remarkable. it? Really, isn't it? Remarkable. But well, one of them works. What do, remarkable what do you want? how it's always the same. The same car that retires. I've just <laughs> never seen anything like it. Anyway. Uh, Harry Anto <laughs> retired uh, one lap after the restart. Um, can't remember why. Um, something broke, I guess. Um, obviously, we lost Alonso and Gutierrez in lap 16. Uh, and Kvyat did not start. Yep, so. poor, poor Danny. Um, not a good weekend for him. Overall thoughts on the race? I enjoyed it. I, I mean, yeah, that's the that's the I first thing, isn't it? it? Is that we? I think everybody who watched it said, "Yeah, it was a good race, wasn't it?" I quite enjoyed everything that went on there. The it biggest wasn't. thing I could take away from it, and I'm hopeful that it will go on, which we've already touched on, but I'm hopeful that we'll see more of it going in future. Is the the triple tires, the three different tires, was the biggest thing I took away. I came away thinking, I like that. I want to see what happens next with that. 
So um, it's got me interested at the very least. Also, Ferrari's pace, not quite on the Mercedes, but good enough to give me some confidence. So that's my two things that I took away. And Roman getting points was brilliant. So there's my three. Yeah, so I yeah, enjoyed it. It was, worth, it was worth getting up for at five in the morning. I did enjoy it. I um I quite like um at Rob underscore King 12's summation of the entire race in a in a tweet which is nonsense quali Kimmy blew up Seb cocked up usual Merck ruining it but at least both Renaults finished <laughs> yep <laughs> which pretty much I think does cover cover pretty much everything other than the the, the missing the crash it, it does indeed <laughs> cover everything yeah. that that did it needs to be a Fernando nearly died line in there <laughs> yes. like yeah no it's a fair summation yeah. Um, solid, solid start to the season, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not utterly depressed. As, as soon as we start start qualifying out, I think we'll be in a decent enough shape. It's just getting that damn qualifying sorted. Do you think that the um, do you think the race is indicative of the season that we're going to have, or do you think it's Australia yet again throwing us a curveball and come Bahrain? We'll have exactly kind of what we had all of 2015, and the the Mercs will just uh, walk it. Ultimately, I think probably. Uh, even in Australia, we had a, a messy race, and they still managed to get the one too, didn't they? So they just find a way to win when you know their backs against the wall, and that's what champions do. I think ultimately, seventy five percent. Or more of the races will be won by Mercedes. Probably more than that. And we've got 21. So at least 15, 16 races will be won by the Mercedes. Possibly more. But that doesn't mean to say it can't be a decent enough season. <laughs> well, possibly. <laughs> I guess if there's... Um, uh, if there's enough action through the grid... Um... I'm hopeful the tyre strategy thing that we've been discussing allows teams to out-strategize Mercedes in the way that you used to be able to do with fuel. Fuel the car differently, out-strategize them, and nick a win. I'm hoping the new tyre rigs can create that. We will see. Only time will tell. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I think that the, that the tyre rigs do introduce that kind of multiple strategy thing, which was what, what fueling kind of gave us. Yeah, and that's what's been missing for me for five years or six years or however long it's been. So... That's why I'm, that that's 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 the biggest cause for optimism, optimism for me. If over the next three races, everybody just brings the same tires and does the same thing, then I'll be back to being miserable. But as of now, thumbs up. Uh, driver of the day. It's got to be Roman, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, th- I think. Not so. giving it to anybody else. It's got to be Grosjean. I, I think uh, it's a bit of a shame we didn't see more of it, because um, I'd like to have known exactly how much pressure he was under. Um, I mean, Rosberg's won the race, but. He hasn't done anything mind-blowingly special to do that. He's just driving a quick car. Lewis, decent enough drive to get back into second, but ultimately he started on pole position, so he's lost lost the place. Can't give it to him. Vettel kind of blew the blew the strat the Ferrari blew the strategy, and then Vettel made a mistake. Danny Rick, quiet but solid. It's got to be Grosjean, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I agree with you on that one. Um. I think we kind of talked about Bahrain, so I'm not going to bother doing a full preview of the race. Um, you expect it to be the same finishing order? or um, Reckon Mercedes's dominance over Ferrari will be slightly greater in Bahrain, just with the nature of the track. It's a 
it's a flat track. There's there's not a lot of variables. Like the ultimate pace will out, and Mercedes ultimately have about a four tenth of a second lap quicker car. Is so, it the is it the twilight race in Bahrain? It is now, isn't it? Not sure, to be honest. I think it's the twilight race, so I'm assuming that means cooler temperatures and uh, that, and that what have you. That. that could be interesting. Oh, going I was back. just going to say because Albert Park was unusually cool uh, this time because we started early. Tires that they can choose and stuff that could throw a few a few curveballs strategy wise. So could be interesting. Could be interesting. Suspect that will be Hamilton Rosberg. Which one wins? Pass 50-50. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, now that that's all done, let's very quickly dive into uh, a couple of newsworthy stories in the uh, in the uh, in the mm-hmm. last lap podcast. I was going to say the Formula One news, but it is the Formula One news, but also the last last lap podcast news. And the first story um, is dominating. Twitter and Formula One on Facebook and, and pretty much every single social media outlet you can consider if you are a UK Formula One fan. And it's the news that from 2019, there will be no longer any uh, essentially free-to-air Formula One on any terrestrial channel. Yep. It is going Sky exclusive. Um Every Grand Prix will obviously be shown live um, on Sky. Free to air, the Formula One British Grand Prix, together with highlights of all other races and qualifying sessions, will be shown on a free to air basis. Now, I would love to understand what that means. Does that mean... Sky bringing out a new channel. Sky Mix, I saw that. So So, that's going to be on Freeview? I believe so. So they'll show the odd Formula One race, the odd football game whatever they consider to be worth, worth sitting on that free. channel, ultimately. Well, now, is that free view from, you know, the box in your TV, or free view if you plug a Skybox into a satellite dish and without yep. your subscription card? You get it. Do you uh, get I'll, it? I'll, I don't know is the answer. Because obviously I would the... assume in the long term it will be the standard three digital television that, that everybody gets now uh, by just by plugging a television in. Uh, can't guarantee it, but I'm just making assumptions, so I could be completely wrong. But what would be the point of bringing out a custom-designed free-to-air channel that isn't truly free-to-air? You know what I mean? Well, so. I guess the advantage is, is that if you end up with something that people have to get a skybox for, then it's not truly free to air, is it? Because they're having to go out and get... Well, right. So there's two things here. It's free to air in the sense that they're not playing a subscription. But Let's let's break this down then. So, if you want to view Freeview, you either have to buy a television with a Freeview box receiver in it, or you buy the box separately, yeah? Yeah. So technically... I mean, like, literally every single television that you can buy. You can't buy a TV now that doesn't have Freeview already built in. No, I completely understand that. But that still technically means that Freeview isn't free to air. You have to have, do you know what I mean? Not you have to have, you have, to have not, a TV, but like, <laughs> well, yeah. But you, if you've got an old TV, you don't get it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you have to have a. It has to be a really old TV. Like I well, think that I, I'd I'd say that that's kind of splitting hairs and clutching at straws a little bit. I don't think it is because 
it's think, not it's not it's not because you can't watch tv now because analog television's turned off but i mean that's something else altogether so, so you literally like, have to have you literally have to have digital television so if you can't watch the free to air freebie channels because you don't have a digibox or a tv with the freebie built in you can't watch tv period at all you can't watch bbc so yeah, to uh, me that no, because uh, it, but it's still the same thing. We well, you'd have to have a TV aerial then. So you say, well, then that's not free because your house has to. Well, every house has a TV, but somebody has to. You pay have for to have it, that to at, watch at BBC point. as well, like or, or yeah, no, but that's the point. Anything, but, it, but that's so. all on freeview, and none of that's free. So only in it's the, what uh, it's what, what it's what you split hairs about saying what is the what is the minimum to make something free to air, and if it's a case that if you buy a receiver but you don't have to pay any for script, subscription then it's free to air, then Sky have no obligation to make it available on general freeview. I think I agree with you generally that it seems a bit odd that they wouldn't put it on general freeview for everybody to view because how else are you going to widen your audience for people who are going, oh, well, yeah. I like all the stuff that's on Sky Mix. I should probably buy Sky and, and do other bits and pieces. Yeah, I think it would be pointless to put the investment into that channel without sticking it on freeview. But I don't know. I'm just guessing. I would assume that they do. They will. Because the interesting thing is is that the Concord Agreement requires that um, some parts of Formula One are free to air. And the Concord Agreement goes through to 2020. So unless they've worked out some special little legal thing to go around that, it should be at least that the first year is available to all. What they do after that, I don't know. Maybe they'll change it. Um, two other primetime live races will be offered on the Sky Sports Mix channel. So, in reality, there will be three races that uh, anybody should be able to view. In comparison to the nine or ten that is now, so they're losing out on two thirds of what they currently get. Mm -hmm. uh, and everything will be shown in Ultra HD. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what that is. But I guess okay. that's the four, I guess that's <laughs> the 4K. Is that 4K television? Is that Ultra HD? I guess so. I guess so. Um, my, picture, my picture quality is pretty good. I find it hard to envision any better than what it currently is, to be honest. But okay, I'm sure I. <laughs> I'm sure already I read. Pretty, it's already pretty damn good. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that 4K televisions are pointless because your so, eye isn't 4K yeah. definition. Like the human eye is, it's going like it's it's finite. You know, like it's not. <laughs> it's going to get to a point where we. It's like it's like processing speed in the computer. Like the human eye can't tell. It's going to become a point where it's so good that like it's any ch any improvements that they make are you can't really notice with a naked eye. That's what it's like to me anyway. Like I can't see how they can really get much better, but okay. <laughs> what do I know? Something that was pointed out in a in a blog. I wish I had the source and I I um, give them a quote for it, but um, they don't actually mention Sky Sports F one. In any of that, it's Sky Sports. What do you mean? Sorry. So, currently, Sky is showing F1 on the Sky F1 channel. Yeah. Mm, correct. Yeah. Which, if you're on the, if you were like me when it first came out, you could just get the HD package for five pound extra a month, and you got Sky F1 free. And so long as you don't change your package or do anything like that, then you get Sky One, uh, Sky F1 HD for. Uh, Sky H uh, F1 for £5 a month. Is that right? I didn't know that that was an option. Uh, that was the original deal. Mm -hmm. After a season or two, 
they scrapped that and said that Sky Sports came with uh, Sky Sports F1 came with a Sky Sports subscription, so you had to get. There's no other way of getting F1. Sky Sports one, two, and three, and the FD uh, HD and all the other bloody blah, blah, blah. And that was the only way of getting the F1. So channel. yeah, so you went from five pound a month to forty pound a month, whatever ridiculous it is for Sky Sports these days. Um, About twenty-five. Is it yeah. okay? On top of your uh, original, on top, of, subscription. on top of the rest of your stuff, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I just like I say it's just very interesting that when they talk about what's actually going to be you know happening in 2019 it says exclusive Sky Sports will be the home of Formula 1 in the UK and Ireland it doesn't say Sky Sports F1 it doesn't name the current channel in anything to do with future broadcasting of Formula 1 so I'm wondering if Sky come 2019 will suddenly go oh by the way there isn't going to be a dedicated F1 channel all of the F1 stuff is going to be mixed across Sky Sports 1, 2, 3 and 4 or 5 and 6 or however many bloody channels there are on it at the moment wouldn't necessarily surprise me if they did do that so that means everybody who you know like myself got got in early got the cheap deal suddenly oh well, you can't get that anymore because that channel doesn't exist. We've we've just rolled it into one of these, so now you need to pay so, your twenty. So, do you minutes. only have the F one channel? Yeah, I have no. I have you don't no get Sky Sports One, Sky Sports nope. Two, Sky Sports Three. Do you not? Okay. I have absolutely no interest in that. I, I don't watch Premier League football. Um, if I'm completely honest, if Leeds are playing on Sky, I watch it across a streaming service, which is I'm sure what most mm-hmm. people generally do who don't want to pay for Sky Sports. I didn't realize you didn't have the rest of this guy. I didn't even know that was an option. So that okay, fair enough. Like I say, that that deal died so, at like so the a season idea and a half that... after the start of Formula One, when they realized that there wasn't the take up that they wanted. So they'd paid a lot of money, and they assumed that if they had offered it on this nice deal, people would switch over to Sky. And I, and I think a lot of people did, but it wasn't the numbers that they wanted. So they then went, oh well, everybody else is going to have to come on board now. You know. to do the, the more expensive deal to make yep. up for it. Yeah. So I understand now why you mentioned them getting rid of the dedicated channel because then that would have a direct impact on the way you view the sport. Whereas I, I didn't realise that the that that what the package that you have was even an option. So in my head, what difference does it make if it's on one, two, three, four, or five? Whereas to you, it makes a big difference because you don't subscribe to those channels. So mm-hmm. I see what you're saying now. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows what they might do? It's three years away. It wouldn't surprise me if they did take away the dedicated F1 channel. But equally, the way... And I've, I've, I subscribe to every Sky Sports channel because, you know, I watch every sport religiously. So, and, and, and I mean, I, I have every... I have, like, you know, the movies and the music and all the stuff. But for all intents and purposes, I might as well just have the sports channels if I could just buy the sports channels. Because I don't, I don't watch TV. I don't watch other TV shows. I don't watch dramas or anything like that. I only watch the Sky Sports channels. If I'm in the living room, it's the Sky Sports channel that's on. And the way that it comes across to me and the way that they're doing things just with their marketing and stuff, I think it would be more likely that we would see uh, see Sky F1, Sky Football, Sky Golf, Sky Cricket as five channels as opposed to Sky 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And, and, and I, think, I think going forward in future, that is more likely than breaking it up just because whenever there's a cricket tournament on, they change Sky Sports 2 to Sky Cricket. Whenever the, pre- the, the Darts World Championship's on, they change Sky Sports 3 to Sky Darts, and it's all darts. So I feel like it's more likely that we'll see dedicated Sky channels. So we'll have eight Sky Sports channels, one for each different type of sport, 
I reckon that's a direction they're more likely to go in than the opposite. But who knows? Well, I see. If they did that, and you could subscribe to an individual channel, then and that you, would be fine. You subscribe and, to an individual sport. You don't like golf, so don't buy the golf one. But you're really into tennis, so buy a tennis one or whatever. That to me seems like the future. You know, yeah. the way it should go. Whether they go that way or not, I don't know. And the fact that they've got the F1 channel, and the fact that they're trialing these other ones during peak times for certain sports and stuff, suggests that they're certainly something that they may look at. I would like to see it because I think it would be. I think it'd be pretty good that having that kind of system. I mean, if we're not going to get, you know, the coverage that we're used to, then that's as probably as good as we can hope. Um, interestingly, for... interestingly, this is really good. You'll love this. Uh, Bernie Eccleston quoted uh. in the press release as <laughs> saying, "I'm delighted that we will continue to work together. Sky's commitment to the sport and standard of coverage is second to none." Seen that, yeah. Seen in that. 2011. Bernie Eccleston said about Sky, <laughs> they've been trying to buy the TV rights from us for a long time, but we won't because they are not free to air television broadcasters. Uh, free to air, uh, free to air television broadcasters. Murdoch hasn't got anything really big to drive their TV audiences, and Formula One will be good for that. Very recently, they wanted to do something in Germany, in the UK, and Italy, where they are, but we couldn't do it. So, <laughs> what do you think has changed? The amount of zeros uh, on the end of the check? Yeah, exactly. What 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 has changed? Anytime Bernie says anything ever, like you know, he's it's like a cliche, you know, uh, when Bernie does something like that. But what can you say? He just, I think he just makes it up as he goes along, depending on who, how much money he's got in his pocket. <laughs> I don't even think he knows what he said. If he told him that he'd said that in twenty eleven, he'd probably go did I? You know, I don't know. Like I don't think he actually realizes what comes out his mouth at sometimes. So basically, between now and 2019, we've got, uh, I think somebody's counted up, there's 60 Grand Prix that will be free to air between now and 2019. I've never watched a Grand Prix since Sky had it, not on Sky. So I don't really know. I can't even tell you who's on the free to air punditry or anything like that. So ultimately, from my selfish point of view, it makes no difference to me whatsoever. Uh, obviously, from a, looking at it from a like a sportful, an ideological point of view for the sport as a whole, you could argue that this is bad news because it's going to limit the number of people, the number of new fans that can get into the sport and stuff like that, which is obviously not good for anybody. Uh, but, you know, for personally, it won't affect me. Philosoph philosophically, obviously not good. That's my summary. <laughs> like it. Short and sweet. <laughs> um. Ultimately, wherever Martin Brundle goes, I'll go. I'll take a bullet for Brundle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tweeting that. Um, interestingly, on the same day that we see um, Formula One line its pockets at the expense of fans being able to actually watch the sport, um, the GPDA uh, released an open letter on behalf of the drivers it represents. Um, taking aim at the rule makers of the sport um we feel that some recent rule changes on both the sporting and technical side and including some business decisions are disruptive do not address the bigger issues of us uh, the bigger issues our sport is facing and in some cases could jeopardize its future success aha we <laughs> know that 
that among the leaders of the sport, be it their owners, their representatives, the governing body, the team or other stakeholders, every individual acts with the very best intentions. Well, uh, therefore, the drivers have come to the conclusion that the decision making process in the sport is obsolete and ill structured and prevents progress being made. Indeed, it can sometimes lead to just the opposite. This reflects negatively on our sport, prevents it being fixed for the next generation of fans and compromises future global growth. We would like to request and urge the owners and all stakeholders of Formula One to consider restructuring its own governance. Yeah, no sh <laughs> What do you say about that exactly? It's just the kind of thing that we've been saying for how long? <laughs> Whether anything actually comes of it or not. Well, probably not. The, the interesting thing, obviously, in that is that, um, well, not interesting thing, but one thing they've done is that they've op done a sort of slightly attacking letter, but they haven't really put in any actual ideas about how you should do it. It's a bit passive aggressive, though, yes. isn't it? <laughs> you sort it out. <laughs> By the sounds of things, and some of the stuff that Lewis has said this week about not going to the meetings and stuff like that, it sounds as if the only person really, maybe, who, and Without, there's Jensen and Sebastian Vettel, and they seem to be the only two that really perk up at these kind of things. The rest of them are all just happy to sort of shy away and let those two do it. So, I mean, I think that is a very good point on Lewis, and it, it, it was something that um, that irritated me um, a little when I, um, you know, when I read him saying, well, they never talked to us about it, and then only for Charlie wanting to point out that... He doesn't come to any of the meetings. So. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't turn up to any of the things where he could have talked to them about it. Um, That's just typical Lewis, then, his sort of his attitude these days, though, isn't it? Well, it's just this kind of say the right thing, you know, it's all good PR, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, I mean, and I'm sure he's not the only one that, that, that that's culpable for doing exactly that but it's all the things that we could do without really we could do with um you know the racing drivers being on the same side as the fans and not trying to um especially the world champion you know? yeah you know don't, don't try and make yourself look better off of the uh the, the dissatisfaction of the fans and stuff if you're not really going to be part of the solution to to fix it well, certainly don't don't pretend that you actually care that much if you're not going to be part of the solution um and, and therefore fair play to any of the drivers who turn up to these meetings like you say jensen button and uh, and vettel always seem to be you know out there pushing these sort of things um vettel for all the stick we used to give him and we gave him all the stick <laughs> he did <laughs> we gave him every bit of the stick that we could find uh he comes across as he just he just he just loves the game. He just loves Formula One motor racing, isn't he? And he wants to see it in the best possible health that it possibly can be. It was like when he went to Ferrari, even though he'd won four world titles, he was a Formula One fan, and every Formula One fan grew up wanting to drive for Ferrari, not Red Bull Racing, you know, market and drinks company. So the second he got the chance to go to Ferrari, he took it. Like he's a fan of the game, he's a fan of the sport, and he wants to see it prosper in the best way possible whereas you kind of don't get that out of lewis you get the you get the idea that once lewis retires you, you might not see him about at f1 anymore kind of thing whereas if vettel retired you just know he's going to be bouncing about the paddock <laughs> yes doing the finger in his denim jeans you know <laughs> eating ice creams with kimmy and stuff like lewis is going to be at Kanye west's house you know wow there's a there's a house I don't particularly want to. 
I want to yeah, ever be at. This just seems like a different in sort of ideologies, you know. I know which guy I prefer. And I didn't think I'd say that a few years ago, to be honest. But anyway, might have something to do with the fact that he's wearing red these days. I, I, well, well, well I would not say anything then. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, so I don't really expect anything to come of that because when has anybody that makes the decisions in Formula One listened to any sense? But we will see. No, I mean, the GP Day did a nice big survey for them about, you know, about what was going in Formula One, and they completely ignored that as well. So, um, there you go. That's, uh, yeah, I think it's as good as we can expect from Formula One these days. Um, on that slightly downward note, sorry, <laughs> first race of the season. We don't like this always, I promise. Um, Let's look ahead to Bahrain and hope that the racing continues to be as exciting as it was at the Australian Grand Prix. And hopefully this new qualifying format will go back to the old format so we actually get the best of both worlds instead of having to only have half of our cake and, and throw the other bit in the bin. Uh, um, I've been your host, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me has been Sean Gray. We are The Last Lap Podcast. Find us at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. Search for us on Facebook. Uh, the Last Lap Podcast. Um, follow us on Twitter at Last Lap Podcast. Uh, I'd like to say a special shout out uh, at this point because we have dun, 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 uh, finally overcome the hundred followers barrier. Uh, I know to a lot, other, <laughs> a lot of other podcasts, a hundred <laughs> followers is nothing, but um, I can proudly say that every single one of those followers is is from genuine sort of interactions and stuff. <laughs> we haven't bought any followers quite clearly, otherwise <laughs> our money has been very ill spent. Yeah. Um, this time but... next week we'll have 19,000 <laughs> followers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so that uh, a special shout out goes out to the Lights Out F1 blog. Uh, that's at Lights Out F1 blog um, for being our hundredth uh, follower uh, on Twitter. Um, and as promised, uh, you know all the Haribo to you. Um, I just seen your tweet about subletting a Sky Ghost lot for five pound a month. <laughs> well, I think nice. if, if Bernie can make some money from it, that's I think brilliant I well. comedy. That's <laughs> funny. I like that. <laughs> uh, um, yes. So, thank you very much for for tuning in. Like I say, follow us on all of our various social media. Like I say, www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. You can find all of the links to subscribe to us on iTunes, on TuneIn, and now on Stitcher as well. So, whatever platform you want to uh, to listen to the podcast from or download directly from the website you can do um we will be back in two and a bit weeks or so give or take after the bahrain grand prix um in the meantime you know get in contact let us know your thoughts about the show uh, formula one and what's going on and uh, you know if you say anything that we uh, we think is really good we make sure you give you a shout out on the show or uh, retweet you in the meantime so thanks very much for listening guys and we'll see you then bye bye cheers guys